0: Wow. With a buildup like that, this better be a good talk, right? Well, good morning, folks. I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome to First Baptist Wimberly. How are you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, I was going to comment to Jonathan about that song. He said he took a song and he made a song. I think Pat Green could make that into a hit. What do you guys think? Yeah, uh, Jonathan, thank you for that. That was very moving. Uh, in fact, it was so moving, I forgot about the bumper video. Well, I want to send greetings to you from Heritage Church in Sterling Heights, Michigan. I they they announced last Sunday that I was their favorite Texan I think I'm the only one they know. I think that's why that was maybe. So I said greetings Uh, you think gosh, you were in michigan last week. Was it nice and cool? No, it was so hot The only happy person was the devil. It was that hot Uh, of course, it's not as hot as texas, but texas is supposed to be hot, right? We know the lord is good when texas is hot and so i'm glad to be back now I ask that you pray for me this week uh, I go to New York City tomorrow. I leave. I have to catch a 540 flight in the morning. That is wretched. That's up before anybody. And that's uh, to fly to Atlanta, to fly to LaGuardia, and uh, particularly pray for the church I'm going to be helping. It's a church mostly of immigrants from Central America who a pastor there, Oswaldo Palmero, who's a wonderful godly man, has asked me to come help them secure their first building. And help them with remodeling. So I'm bringing an architect. We're going to be looking. Because I don't know nothing about building a building. So I'm just a preacher. But we're going to meet together. We're going to help them. So pray for that church. Will you do that as well uh, as we pray for them? And also they have churches, get this, and all throughout Central America and through Cuba. Uh, and we're talking about going to train over 400 pastors in Cuba. How about that? Isn't that cool? So uh, pray for us as we go up there this week. Uh, but we're continuing the series on the pursuit and I'm really excited about this series Let me tell you why a couple of reasons first of all, I love King David I love the whole account of what God used a guy that may be like a lot of us other guys The guy that was obviously flawed but still good uh, a guy who had God's heart, but sometimes he misbehaved anybody can Relate to that. Okay. We'll do a series on lion, uh, you know after after this one but uh, he's that, that kind of guy. But also, uh, my brother Stan, who is one of my spiritual heroes and mentors, Stan's also a pastor. Uh, Stan is now a director of missions. Uh, when Stan was about 18, he came home. Uh, God had called him to preach. He moved off to Mississippi. God called him. Uh, he was making ladies' underwear when God called him to preach. I asked him, well, anyway, I'll, I'm just not going to chase that. We need to focus right now, Dan. That's right. But uh, Stan came back, and then he was four years older than me. So during those days, he was home in a junior college. We read the Bible through together every night, and we kind of got stuck there in King David. And so all of that, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, 16 years old, that was rolling around in my heart about being that guy, being that man. So I'm excited about that. Also, the other reason I'm excited about this is that this is going to be my next book. So I'm running this by you first. And if it's terrible, we just won't ride it. But if it's okay, we'll see what God does with it. Okay, is that a deal? Okay, that's five of you. That's really exciting. So <laughs> let me say this to kick off this, okay? Extraordinary, the call of God is often hung on the hinges, the small hinges of ordinary days. Let me say that. The call of God is often hung on the small hinges of ordinary days. Days, dawn, and we don't know what to expect. Normally, they're just kind of business as usual. We wake up, we eat breakfast, we do the things we need to do. Uh, Perhaps some of you read your Bible, you journal or pray. Uh, Many of you don't. I'm not going to guilt you about that. Y'all too. We'll help you with that. That's why we do the take the weekend with you to kind of push you down that road. And it's just ordinary until the extraordinary happens. Until God steps in and he intervenes in such a way that changes everything. The ancients had two words for time. Actually, they had more than two words, but we're going to focus on two. One of them was called chronos, and that is the marking of time, like the calendar. That's where we get the word calendar from, chronos, the the marking of time, and that's just the ordinary. We look at our calendars, we look at our daytimers, timers, and that's chronos. What do we have to do today? I look at my schedule week by week, and I said, what's on my schedule this week? What is on my chronos, my chronometer? What's happening? Tomorrow I go to New York, and Wednesday I do something else, and Thursday something else, and then Sunday I get to be back to aggravate you again. It's so exciting. But there's a second word called kairos. And kairos, I like to describe it this way. It's when heaven and earth thin and there's a touching. When heaven touches earth and there's a thinning and God steps in and he speaks and he moves and those kairos moments become the markers of our lives. Kairos moments, like the first time I saw Miss Tara at this church I was visiting because I was interested in another girl who went to church there. Don't judge me, guys. That's the way it is. That kairos moment, I saw her. And I and then, then in the pursuit of her, I asked her out four times before she would go out with me. That shows her great level of discernment. And it shows you my great level of persistence. The day that Terry gave birth to Caleb at nine pounds and 10 ounces, and she had no medication. She delivered Caleb naturally. I've been scared of her ever since. That's a tough girl right there. And that doctor placed Caleb in my arms and that overwhelming sense that I'm a dad. And that day that marked that Father's Day for me as we celebrate that today as dads, that we realized that overwhelming sense of responsibilities washed over us. And we knew that we had someone to protect and provide and, and to guide and to train and to love and to pray for and, to, man, for, for them to, to, to really exacerbate all our resources until the point that we're dead when they no longer can garnish our goods. Overwhelmed with being a dad. Then it happened again when Kayla was born. She was a little smaller, 9'7", or 9'8", excuse me, 9'8". I got it right, 9'8". She said, I birthed them babies. You better get that weight right. And that overwhelming sense, and then again, heaven and earth thinned a couple of years ago when little Ivy came in. And when I walked, and five years before that, I walked Kayla down the aisle and Kairos moments. When God intervenes, and God steps in. And it's the call of God, the Kairos moments of God that changes everything about us. And I believe that today, as we gather here in the heart of Texas, under the shade of these beautiful hills, that God has a Kairos moment for us today. Today. Because this is not an ordinary day. This is a day when things. Thin, and heaven and earth touch. And it's the call of God that transcends us and it changes us. Now, the call of God, I believe, is one of the most misunderstood aspects of a believer's life. When we start talking about God called me to do this and God called me to do that, we have mystified the revelation of God to where we say God only calls preachers and missionaries. And if he calls the ordinary Christian it's basically the salvation so you can show up at church gatherings for the rest of your life and make no big difference. And I want to tell you something. That's not true. God has a call in each one of your lives. God has a plan for each one of your lives. He has shaped you to enjoy him, and he has shaped you to serve him. And God wants to invade our common and ordinary and bring to us the extraordinary because the call of God hangs on the small hinges of the ordinary day. Here in the book of 1 Samuel, we see King David. He wasn't a king at this time. He was just a shepherd boy. He was the ordinary. Day after day, he had the mundane job of taking care of the sheep. I think sheep, being a shepherd, probably isn't a bad job. You you saw that coming, didn't you? Yeah. But it was a job, nonetheless, that was not applauded or esteemed, except for years later, David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. When God calls himself a shepherd, and he calls us the sheep of his pasture, maybe it's more important than we think. So today I want you to hear what God has called you into. And are you being called by God? Are you being assigned by God? Is this a Kairos moment for you? And I ask you literally to lean in a little bit and to sit up straight, and to listen, because in the pursuit, living face-to-face with God, he has a call for you. Will you answer it? Become what God wants you to be. Will we answer it? and Become what God has called us to be. You guys ready for this? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning in your word, and I'm so grateful, Father, for this church family, for the way that through the labyrinthine corridors of, of my life, you brought me to them and they have them to me, and, and this is all for your glory. And I thank you, Father. I thank you that when we don't expect things, that you move in ways that are unexpected. And here on this hinge of this ordinary day lies the extraordinary call from you, our a great God. So give us ears to hear, and give us minds to understand. I pray, Father that you will customize the words I have to say for those who are here today. For what I have to say is nonsense and noise, and what you have to say is bread and honey and milk and meat, it's life and peace, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. So guide us today as we hear from you on this Kairos day, this day of your call. And I pray this all in your son's strong name, amen. I invite you to take, out your, take the weekend with you notes and jot down some things. There may be some things you want to remember, things you want to jot down and and hold with you. Uh, There might be a way to keep you from falling asleep. If you do fall asleep while I preach, I believe that you trust me and I'm not offended at all, okay? Just don't snore and bother your neighbor, okay? So look at your neighbor right now and say, don't snore and bother me. Will you do that? that? That's helpful right there, okay. All right, enough of that. Here's the first thing I want you to hold on to as we look at this call of God. And this, I think, you know, as I was preparing and I was just writing this, this kind of seized me. Because oftentimes I think I am pursuing God. I am looking for God. I'm on this quest for God. When the truth is exactly the opposite. When God really is on a quest for me. He's seeking me. He is the Father who loves me deeply. He's the Father who knows me intimately. He's the Father who overlooks my flaws and sees my potential and empowers me with his spirit. So I want to say this to you. God always seeks us before he calls us god is looking for you now some of you grew up in a home where that was very intimidating god's watching you but really he's seeking after you let me read for you this is if you have your bible you can turn to first samuel 16 and i just want to read for you and it's on the screen as well if you want to follow along now the lord said to samuel now who in the world was samuel uh, samuel was the prophet of god If you read about Samuel, Samuel was uh, a great hero of the faith. And Samuel was the prophet. He was the one who represented God to the people. He was also the high priest. Now, you got Saul, and uh, and so you're born long enough for Saul. Now, I want to chase this rabbit a second because I believe the context is very important. Saul was the first king of Israel. The word Saul in Hebrew sounds exactly like the Hebrew word For ask for, A-S-K-F-O-R, ask for. Saul, when you said Saul in Hebrew, it sounded exactly like you were saying ask for. So Saul was the king the people ask for. And you get what you ask for. And Saul was a train wreck. Be careful what you ask for. Has your mama ever said that to you? Has your mom ever said, you're asking for it? And of course, we all knew what it was. And so Saul was this king, this king who was half-hearted, who wanted the position but did not want the responsibility. Now, I'll say this to you. I want you to hold on to it. Anytime you say yes to call, the to call of God and his service, you are not given authority. You're given responsibility. And the higher the call of God, the more important the call of God, the greater level of accountability and responsibility is given by God. When people say to me, oh, that's a high-powered preacher, I go, that is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as a high-powered preacher. There is a preacher who's highly accountable and highly responsible. And that changes the way we view things. Changes the way I view things. So you mourn long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be king. Now notice the difference between Saul and David. Saul was the king that was what? Asked for. And David was the king God had chosen. He had selected. Now he said go and... and, and, and one of his sons, and then, but Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. That's a pretty legitimate argument from Samuel, would you not say? I'm going to start an insurrection against the current king by anointing a future king that's not related to the current king, and things are gonna be cool with that other king. No. Of course, we know God and his providence that Samuel would not die until God was done with Samuel. And Samuel did not live under the tyranny of Saul. He lived under the providence of God, and so do you. Now, some of you, that's all you need to hear. You can get up and go home, go eat more bacon. But you live under the providence of God. But listen to how God answers him. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. And you go, okay, I just said Saul's going to kill me, and you're talking about go get a cow? Well, God's always got a plan, and usually the best thing to do is obey his plan and not question his plan. Just saying. And say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you which one of his sons to anoint for me. Now, God didn't back off the call to Samuel. He didn't back off the assignment. He says, you're going to do this. In fact, you're going to do it in such a public way that everybody in Bethlehem and soon everybody throughout Israel and throughout the province is going to know that David's anointed king. Don't worry about Saul. I'll take care of Saul. You worry about obeying me. Did you know that delayed obedience is disobedience? Did you know that 99% obedience is disobedience? And that's 1 Samuel 16, 3. Let's talk about this. The call of God in anyone's life is always preceded by the work of God to draw us to himself. Always God is making you aware of him. The Gospel of, of, gospel of John, John says this, no one can come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit. In other words, you, you're not even awakened to salvation. You're not even awakened to the recognition of God unless the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Unless you feel that tug of God. I talk to you uh, guys a lot about this. At the end of every service, I, I talk about trusting Christ. And, and I've had people complain about that to me. He said, why, why do you always talk to people about trusting Christ? You need to quit doing that. I said, No, I'm not going to do it. Suck it up, Buttercup. This is what I'm going to do. If you don't like it, you can go to sleep or not listen or not come. I'm going to talk about Jesus and people getting saved. I'm sorry. I'm going to do that because I don't know what God is doing in the hearts of people. I know that God has given me the responsibility to make his gospel front and center. Are y'all with me on that one? <laughs> Whew, okay, good. But God, and I'll say to you, said, if you feel like This is something you need to do. If that little voice in your heart that sounds like your voice but not your character that says, you need to do this, this is not me being persuasive. This is the Spirit of God speaking to you. This is the Spirit of God speaking to you. And the Spirit of God wants to speak to you and prompt your heart. Now, we'll talk more about this in a little bit to understand how do we know the difference between the Spirit and us. And I'll talk to you about that. You see, God sent a man to call David, and his name was was Samuel. That Samuel had been preordained by God, empowered by God, filled with God's Spirit to go and to select the next king. That's a little bit of pressure. But I want to say this to you as well. God is sending people to awaken you to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm pretty excited on this Father's Day... The person used by God to awaken me to the Spirit of God moving in my life was my father. Was my father. Now my brother, my oldest brother David, he's a historian. And historians are kind of like preachers. They know a whole lot about a whole lot of stuff that most of us don't care anything about. And David's a historian and, and we were talking to David yesterday and David was talking about the godly legacy of my family. That even in the 1700s, he said, looking at our family, you had two choices of vocation. Either you're going to be a preacher or a school teacher. So that was kind of the, the, in the 1700s, one of my ancestors, John Weatherford, was arrested for preaching in Virginia. It either had to be against the law, or he was a mighty bad preacher, one of the two. (laughs) And so he was talking about this. He was talking about the legacy of Godliness to my family and that how it was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And I remember what the, God's Word says in Exodus, that if we love the Lord, he will bless the children to the thousandth generation. And I'm living under that generational blessing. He also talked about my mother's side of the family, that, that my great-grandfather and his wife, they had a great love for each other. They were married over 60 years. Every night before, he said every night before they went to bed, they would reach across their bed and hold hands across the bed and pray for one another. And I said, obviously, they didn't have a king-sized bed. <laughs> of course, that was in the day they probably made their own bed. And they, and they prayed for each other. And that legacy, I could remember laying in bed at night and listening to my grandparents quote the 103rd Psalm out loud together. I could still hear my mother's voice echoing through my childhood home of her reading Scripture to my father out loud every night before they went to bed. And that God had orchestrated the divine call in my family's life and passed it down from generation to generation to generation to generation. Had the opportunity of praying with both of my children as they received the Lord, baptizing both of my children. That godly legacy. The night that Tara and I got engaged, I asked her to marry me and in a weak moment she said Yes. And I said, there'll be no divorce. We're going to love each other till one of us lays the other one in the arms of Jesus and hopefully not by the other one's hand. <laughs> and we prayed together and we committed our marriage at that time to the Lord. Now you think, well, you were just Pastor Scott there. No, I was a heathen going to Florida State. But God had a call on my life. And God had sent a man to bring that revelation to me and God is working for me. Now, Samuel obeyed God despite his fears. And will we obey God with despite his fears? You know, there's some people that God is assigning you to bring the gospel to. And will you obey God despite your fears? Samuel feared death. We feared being called a kook. I want just give you a heads up. They're already calling you a kook. Too late. You embrace the assignment of God. But I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice the kindness of God. That in Samuel and his trepidation about the call of God, the assignment of God to go and speak to David, that God said, Samuel, just be yourself. Take a heifer. It's what you do. You're going to sacrifice to the Lord. And while you're doing this, you're going to pick a king. This is not going to seem to be Something out of the ordinary, this is going to be something in the common of your calling, the common of your assignment. And God showed his kindness to him. And notice how God showed who was selected. He said, "Um, you'll know who to choose. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Samuel, I would be wanting a little more information than you'll know the one, wouldn't you? Does he have a birthmark? Has he got spiky haircut? What does he look like? Of course, if you read the account there, you'll see that one by one, Jesse's son stood before the prophet. Of course, the prophet picked the biggest one because it was a warfare kingship, and he picked the biggest one. Who's going to be the biggest one? He was kind of like an NFL draft specialist looking at who's the biggest one. But God doesn't judge people from the outside. God judges people from the inside. God looks at things differently. So and, and so he was going to show. Now, listen to this. This is in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose heart are fully committed to him. Now, I read that passage, and I, I I'm, I'm marvel at that. Don't you? The eyes of the Lord are looking through the earth. In fact, he's looking through this room right now. And he's going to strengthen the hearts that are fully committed Now, i got a good old Baptist guilt. And I'm going, well, I could be more committed. Don't you feel that way? They say, well, you know, God's not going to strengthen me because I'm not as committed as I need to be. When you read that in Hebrew, you'll find that the fully committed means the ones to whom he knows and you belong. I want to give you another passage out out of the New Testament that may help you with this. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. In other words, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, that God is looking to strengthen you. Now I want to ask you this question. How many of you in this room have trusted Christ as your Savior? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. That's who God's strengthening You, how's that make you feel? Now turn to your neighbor right now and say that God is strengthening me. That's a good confession, isn't it? And some of you just said, yeah, you need it too, right? Yeah. (laughs) You see, God's ways are not our ways. And, and, And even when I say that, I don't fully understand God's ways. Listen to what the Lord said to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I re- have rejected him. He was talking about David's oldest brother. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Judge people; people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, and that's 1 Samuel 7, sixteen seven. You see, people look at what we can see, and God looks at the unseen. And there's a word for that called cardiognosos. And That's the knowledge of the heart. Now, when you go to a cardiologist, a cardiologist is one who studies the heart. And That's it, a medical term, a medical doctor who studies the heart. And when you have heart trouble, you go see a cardiologist and they study your heart. Well, God is the expert of the heart. God doesn't study the heart. God knows the heart. Why does God know the heart? Because God made the heart. Now, in the Hebrew mind, the heart was not just the center, Uh, it uh, it was the center of emotions. It was the center of commitment. It was the center of will. The knowledge, the mind, was the center of intellects. The heart was the center of will, of decision, of emotion. And, of course, we know that physically, the heart and the head, the mind, are connected. Isn't that right? If you have no heart, you cannot live. If you have no brain, you cannot live. Now, there are people who challenge that theory. Most of them are in office today and live in in New York. Excuse me, in uh, Washington. They have no heart, no mind, and they live anyway. But that's a joke. Very bad one. I won't use it in the next service. But God knows our hearts, and he sees the knowledge of the heart. And God was building David's life, building his heart, long before the prophet Samuel came along. And I want you to hold on to that. Now, some of you in this room are at the beginning of your life. You're young, and your whole life stretched before you. Some of you are not that way. As my daddy used to say, I've got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. You know, daddy said he got to a place where he didn't buy green bananas. He didn't know if he'd be around long enough for them to ripen. But here's the truth. As long as you're alive, God is preparing you now for your next. Your next may be eternity, but he's preparing your now for your next. And God wants to work in your life in such a way that's building you so he can use you. Now, this revelation of God, God was building David's life long before the God for him to, God called him to be the king because God was shaping a king after his own heart. Now, think about this. David is in the wilderness keeping sheep, and a lion comes along and kills it. A bear comes along and kills it. In fact, this plurality of lions and bears that David has, has killed. Because when he talks to, later to Saul about killing Goliath, he said, I've killed lions and bears. So it wasn't just one incident. There were several. David was seasoned. David knew that a shepherd cared for his sheep and that according to Deuteronomy, that a king was to care for his people. David also knew, according to teaching of Scripture, that a king was to have the heart of God. And later we'd read the Proverbs, it says, the king's heart is held in the hands of the Lord. David knew all these things. God was preparing David. When David had to be on the run from Saul and living in the wilderness, God had prepared David to live in the wilderness because he worked in the wilderness as a child. I have a good friend of mine, his name's Don Pooley. He's a professional golfer. He won the Varden Trophy one year. That means the lowest score for the whole year for a professional golfer. He won the U.S. Senior Open. He won the Memorial Championship. He won several other PGA championships. And I asked Don. We were playing golf not too long ago in Tucson. Don is in his 60s, late 60s. He shot a 65 that day without cheating. Why? That's pretty incredible. I can't even cheat my way to a 65, even though I could try, but... Don shot a 65. And I asked Don, I said, Don, when did you start playing golf? He said, Well, I started playing when I was seven, but I didn't get serious about it until I was eight. <laughs> now, think about this God had prepared Don all of his life to be a professional golfer, God had prepared David all of his life to be a king. What is God preparing you for? And maybe. Your preparation in your early days, you feel like you've squandered, but God says, I do not waste anything. And it's not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. This revelation was filled in such a way that even after a long, hard season, God said to David, you're going to be a king, and then years later he became the king. Because God will whisper a promise today that will be fulfilled in the future. And despite the circumstances, God is faithful. And faithful is he who calls, and he will bring it. In fact, that's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5:24. I quoted it, I should read it. God, makes this, God will make this happen, for he who calls is faithful. As you follow. God, you'll experience the call of God. And God calls you to salvation. And He calls you to come follow Him, come trust in Him. And if you haven't done that yet, I pray that today is that Kairos day when you feel and respond to the call of God, that you say yes to God and you respond to His call. But He calls you to bring glory to Himself. Now, sometimes this gets a little tricky. i want you to hang with me the assignment of god is the fulfillment of the call of god god calls you to follow you follow him and you say yes then he assigns you to where he wants you to be in light of that calling in light of that empowerment now i want to say this because god has called me to be a pastor that doesn't make me more spiritual than you are did you know that now, what it does make me is more accountable than you are. Because one day I'm gonna to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of how I pastored you. Now, I'll get up to heaven and some of y'all gonna make me look bad. So, okay, straighten up, all right? But I'm gonna to have to be accountable to what God has asked me for. Now, His call was to follow me, but His assignment to me was to be a pastor. Now, you could describe it as a calling, but it's also an assignment. But you can't get away from the core. The assignment of God is fulfilled by the call of God. Now, there's a difference between the call and the assignment, but it's the same result. These terms are interchangeable, and it's all for Jesus. But let me say this to you. I've heard people use the call of God as an excuse not to obey God. I've heard people say, well, I would do that, but God has not called me to that. Really? Really? But maybe he's assigned you to that. I would lean into the poor, but God has not called me to that. Really? Maybe that's his assignment for you. I would do something about atrocities of the world, but God has not called me to that. Really? Really? Maybe that's your assignment. Well, I'd work with children, but God has not called me to that. Well, I can understand that one. (laughs) Seriously, really, see a need, meet a need. Be obedient to God. And let God be the one who assigns you and moves you and directs you. So I want to ask you this question. What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? I know what most of you are saying right now. Oh, I'd do anything if I knew it was God's ass. Really? Would you? Well, most anything. Really? In the 1870s, one of the most popular men in all the world was a missionary named David Livingston. He was literally the most popular figure in civilized world, David Livingston. He did send it to the heart of Africa to map the continent. British people called him an explorer. Others knew he was a missionary. His goal was to map Africa so the gospel could follow. Livingston would sit on top of a precipice in the deepest, darkest places in Africa and see the lights of villages below them and pray for them, wondering if the gospel would ever penetrate the dark continent. David Livingston prayed this prayer. Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any any burden on my back, only sustain me. Sever any tie but the tie that binds me to yourself. David Livingston died when he was 59 years old. He was making one of his most penetrating, daring expeditions into the heart of Africa. The night before he died, his his helper, noticed that Livingston was struggling, so he sat outside his tent that night. In the morning, he got up to arouse the great man of God and found him on his knees in prayer dead. The African chieftain who was leading the expedition cut Livingston's heart out of his body and buried it in Africa. He dried his body in the sun, affixed it to a pole, and walked nine months out of Africa to put it on a ship sailing from Balma, Congo to be buried as a hero burial in Westminster Abbey. All for Jesus. What would you do for God if you knew what sin would ask? Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on my back, only sustain me. Sever any tie, but tie that binds me to yourself. This overwhelms me because I want to live a life so in the face of God that nothing is impossible, no assignment is out of reach, and God has my yes before He asks. Do you? Do we? Are we more concerned about our comfort and care? Or are we more concerned about the call of our great God? You see, God's call is always measurable. God reveals his call in four different ways. And I want you to write these down because they're very important. Very important. Because we'll say, how do I know this is God? I don't want to be manipulated or guilted into anything. Do you? No, I want to be assigned by the Holy God. Don't you? And the Bible says to test the spirits, right? And so let me give you some, some things that I've used in my life that's helped me determine the call of God, the assignment of God, the movement of God. And I'm going to give you some examples. God's call is measurable. It always aligns with his word. Whatever I'm looking for the will of God in my life, the call of God in my life, the assignment of God in my life, I'm scouring scripture and looking for it. And I want to say this to you. I know next week I'm coming to preach with view of call and whatever. This week is so awkward for me. I'm sweating like a man writing checks. I don't know if y'all can see that. It's just awkward. But I want you to set that aside now and listen to what God is saying. I wasn't looking to be your pastor. I had no intentions of being your pastor. I'd been to Wimberley one time in my life, and that was to eat at a place down on Cypress Creek, and I got an overpriced hamburger that was served slowly to me. Just the way it was. There's 10 million other people down there. And I wasn't looking. But I'd said yes to God. I'd come out of a day, uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Look at me, y'all. Do you think I enjoy fasting? No. (laughs) But I'd said yes to God. That morning, it was the 29th of January, I was praying. I said, Lord, if you want me to preach and, and to help a church, please just open that door. And Wyatt called me that afternoon. He said, "Would you consider being our interim?" I immediately said, "Yes." I said, "Why?" Well, said, "You don't need to pray about it." I Said, "I've already prayed about it." I didn't just know. I didn't know where it was. It had to be in Wimberley. I, that, God doesn't look so well, you know. Wimberley—that's where you're going to go. That's where God knew I was, where I was supposed to go. I didn't. Thankfully, He didn't say Houston. But that's a whole other. I've lived there. I get that. I see that hand. That's right. Yeah. He said Canada before. It was cold up there. And I began to pray and ask God to show me. And, and then not long afterwards, I was here. And this was, this was really hard. You guys kept saying to me, you just ought to be our pastor. That's not my decision. You made me so awkward. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this pastor search team approached me. They said, would you be willing to talk to us? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll talk with you. I've been helping churches all over North America. I felt like that was the last part of my life. That was to help pastors and churches. But then I read this passage. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you'll be my spokesman. You must influence them and do not let them influence you. That's Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19. And God's Word affirmed to me and I wrote the date down on May the 1st of this year and I wrote, I will return. And I knew that God was asking me to step back into a pastorate and I still didn't know it was you. And God aligns things with His Word. He affirms it by other believers. I will not know for sure that I'm to be your pastor until you vote next week. And if by some miracle you say, yes, I'll know that this is God's assignment, if you come to your senses between now and then, (laughs) then I know I'm released to, to be a pastor someplace else. But we feel like this is what God is doing. He's affirmed it through other believers. But it's also congruent with circumstances how God orchestrates circumstances. That's why we need to pay attention to what God is doing in our lives in the world around us. That it's always fleshed out in prayer. And prayer is to make me aware of God. Prayer is not to inform God. Prayer is to make me aware. i got to say one other thing about affirming through other believers. I've been here about two weeks preaching and Wyatt looked at me and he said, have you considered just becoming our pastor? And it was literally like somebody took a hot knife and stabbed me in the heart. It's his fault. It's fleshed out in prayer. I could give you instance after instance after instance of my life how God has shown me his will by going through these four Markers. And you have to go four for four. They all have not just circumstances, not just prayer, but His word, not just other believers, but His word, other believers, circumstances and prayer. And then we move forward with confidence of God. Here's the last thing I want to say to you, then we'll end this. God empowers those he calls. Has this been helpful at all? God has empowers those he calls. So David stood among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil and brought that he had brought and anointed David with oil. Now get this, this is huge. There were only two people in the Old Testament who had the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. David and John the Baptist. Only two. You see, now that we're believers, we when we trust Christ, we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It comes on us at salvation. Not at some other time. There's not a second anointing or second baptism. There's an awakening, a renewal, a recognition, but you get all the Holy Ghost on the first dose, y'all. David got it before the Lord Jesus had come. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. David operated in the power of the Holy Spirit from that day on. Was David perfect? No. Are you perfect? Not even close. Gives me hope. And then Samuel, he returned to Ramah. He'd done his job. He didn't worry about Saul. Now get this, the call was public, David's life. He was before his brothers. He was before the others at the festival where they were killing the heifer. That was a big barbecue, basically. The call was Prophetic. The prophet had said, you will be the king. If the prophet had said, "Now I get this, in those days, if a prophet was wrong one time, he was killed. I heard somebody not long ago, he's a prophet. He's, this guy was on the radio, on TV. He said, he's a prophet of God. He has over a 60% success rate. <laughs> mm. The call was powerful. Because it brought the anointing of the Spirit of God. And the call, now this is where I want to get, I want, to hold, I want you to hold on to it. The call was permanent from that day on. Now listen to me, folks. Would you say yes to Jesus? Would you pray and ask Jesus in your heart? That call is permanent. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You can't out the grace of God. You can't out the grace of God. And he seals you and he holds you. He seals you and holds you. In fact, the word picture we get from Scripture is that God puts the Spirit on us like one would put a ring of engagement on his bride. He says, one day I'm going to come back for you, but until that now, I have sealed you with my permanence. I have given you a promise, and that's the Holy Spirit who lives inside you. And no one can snatch you out of my hand, Jesus said. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Any belief system that creates insecurity is not of God. Because God's the security and he's in peace and it's permanent from that day on, from this day on. Today could be the kairos moment in your life when you say yes to Jesus and from this day on, the spirit of God will dwell in your life and power your life and hold your life and guide your life and correct your life and fill you with his spirit to use you for his glory and then take you to heaven, your permanent home. Whoo! good stuff you see days dawn sometimes with great expectation only to be found ordinary while ordinary days swing the great hinges of God's movement that reveal his call to you the kairos and I think we're in one of those days I think this is one of those days, on Father's Day, where we say, Jesus of yours. Jesus of yours. We let our lives be marked by the great God of heaven who calls us and knows us by name. Or today's a day when we are reminded, we'll be reminded, Jesus of yours. My father has been living with Jesus now for almost 10 years. But his influence still washes into my life. My sister, I just spent time with my sister this past week. My sister and I were talking about my father, our father. and My brother Stan was there. My brother David was there. We're all there. And my mom and dad, they, they come into the conversation because they've marked us. They've marked us. They've marked us with the holy mark a high mark, a mark all for Jesus. (laughs) It just keeps making me want to live all for Jesus. There were a lot of ordinary days. But they're all extraordinary because Jesus was in the middle of all those days. So I want to leave this with you. What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? Would you say yes to him before he asked? We have the courage to pray Livingston's prayer. Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on my back, only sustain me. Sever any tie with a tie that binds me to yourself.